0: For the first time in 10 days, I'm back in studio. Tanner Hoops with you on the Sports Pen. Glad you're along this Monday afternoon. Glad to be back after a long extended stay in Iowa, enjoying the holidays, a Christmas season with my family. Hope you had a great Christmas and a great holiday season as well. We have a busy show today, a lot to get into, including the NFL and college football. It is Black Monday among NFL head coaches whose teams struggled disappointed this year, or over the last few years, we're going to get to that in a few moments. Plus, we're going to preview the NFL playoffs and take a look at the College Football National Championship. All that and more coming up over the course of next hour. Glad to have you along. I want to say, apologies in advance, I may be a little distracted today. I've got my homie's bowl game up here on the monitor. He's playing in the Red Box Bowl against Illinois. I promised I'd watch that. I tell you what, though, I did say that I was going to figure this out for y'all. That I would figure out what the prize packs were for the Red Box Bowl. Do you remember a few weeks ago Ryan Stieg was in here? Part of the Friday Funnies was some of the poor player packs that they would give out to the uh, to the participants of certain bowl games. Well, the Red Box Bowl. I wonder, does it have anything to do with the Red Box? Because it, it, is Red Box still a thing? Well, it turns out that for the Red Box Bowl, they get a Nintendo Switch Lite, a Nixon watch, a Herschel bag. Turtle Beach headphones, and sunglasses. So no, the Redbox Party Pack does not have anything to do with Redbox itself. That's a pretty good pack, though. I'd be okay with getting some of that Turtle Beach headphones, Nintendo Switch Lite. I'm down for that. I'm here for that. Tell you what, though, it is good to be back. I flew in last night at my plane touchdown a little after midnight, and there's not nearly as much snow, or there wasn't, I should say. There wasn't nearly as much snow as I was anticipating. I thought I'd have to dig my car out, just unbury it. It was 35 degrees last night when I touched down here. It is not that way anymore, though. Now we're starting to get more of what I was expecting. I tell you what, I had a connecting flight from Omaha to Minneapolis, then a Marquette last night. And I'm heading toward my gate in Minneapolis. I hear that we have a delay. Our flight's being delayed from Minneapolis to Marquette, so I thought, oh, great. I decide I'm going to go get something to eat, and I find one of the airport restaurants, and I enjoy myself a Juicy Lucy. And if you've never had a Juicy Lucy... You need to. It's very much a Minneapolis thing, a Minnesota thing. It is the equivalent to a pasty over there, not in its form, what have you. It's a burger with cheese inside the patty, but in the way they care about it, as youpers care about pasties, what have you. So I was enjoying myself at Juicy Lucy, and I see somebody waving at me near my gate as I'm heading toward my gate. I see somebody waving at me, and I'm like, who do I know in the Minneapolis airport? Who would I know? December 29th, a Sunday night in the Minneapolis-St. Paul airport. And I can't make out who it is. I can't see his face. I just see him waving at me from down the hall. So I get a little closer. I'm kind of walking slowly. I'm probably giving him this puzzled look. I'm kind of like looking around. Is he, is he waving at somebody behind me? Like, am I going to look stupid? Am I will wave back and he's not waving at me? And I finally get close enough to see his face to see who it is. And it's Grandpa Tony. It's Northern Michigan hockey head coach Grant Patolli. I see him in the airport trying to flag me down last night, and I'm like, "This world just got even smaller." So we find our gate, and I tell him the news because he was making phone calls. He's a busy guy. He didn't hear the news about the delay. I tell him, "Did you know we're delayed?" And his eyes widen. He's like, "You think we're getting out? Are we going to get out tonight? Or are we staying the night in the Twin Cities?" And then I. You should have seen the sigh of relief, uh, the look of relief on his face when I told him, no, 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 it's not weather-related, Grant. The pilots aren't here. The pilots were about an hour late. At least, they got there an hour after we were originally supposed to depart, so I don't know what the deal was there, but the world got even smaller. Thankfully, Grant and I were able to get home, and our flight did get in just after midnight last night. Hey, before we start talking about the NFL, we recap Sunday's games. Let me do this, because we're doing this here in our final days of the decade, our final couple of shows in 2019, today and tomorrow. This is what we're doing on Twitter. If you're not following us on Twitter, we're at ESPNUP. Even if you're not going to follow, go and vote because we're doing a special fan vote. We're updating polls throughout the day, putting them on Twitter. What we're doing here is we are taking all of the number one overall draft picks from all four major sports this decade from 2010 to 2019, and you are going to vote year by year who had the best number one overall pick, which sport produced the best number one overall pick that year. I'll give you an example. The 2010 vote, Sam Bradford in football, John Wall in basketball, Bryce Harper in baseball, or Taylor Hall in hockey. Who was the best number one overall draft pick in 2010? You have your choice of those four to pick. My favorite class, I think maybe the most stacked, is 2011. You have Cam Newton from the NFL, Kyrie Irving from the NBA, Garrett Cole from the MLB, or Ryan Nugent Hopkins from the NHL. You get your choice. You get a vote on the best number one overall draft pick from each sport this decade. And then by the time we hit the air in 2020, January 2nd, which is Thursday, I do believe, that we are going to have the best number one overall draft picks of this decade. Reminder, we are closed on Wednesday for New Year's Day. We'll be closed for the holiday. We are back on Thursday, so Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, this week. All right, let's get into some NFL. Let's recap yesterday's action. A fourth-quarter touchdown from Sam Darnold to Jamison Crowder gave the Jets a 13-6 win over the playoff-bound Bills. That game didn't really mean anything for Buffalo. They were locked into the five-seed. Josh Allen played a little bit. Matt Barkley had the majority of snaps that day. The Saints beat the Panthers 42-10. They gave themselves a shot at getting that first round by. Things didn't work out for them, though. They needed some help elsewhere. However, they do go into the postseason with a dominant performance over the Panthers to get their 13th win at 13-3. Well, the Eagles turned it on late, and they beat the Giants 34-17. Tell you what, it was close until Daniel Jones had one of his patented fumbles right in front of his own end zone late in the second half, and Philadelphia coasted from there. Boston Scott continues to impress. 54 rushing yards, 84 receiving yards, and three rushing touchdowns. Who's this guy? Yeah, the replacements was on TV this weekend. That's basically what the Eagles are going into the playoffs with. A replacement team, quarterback by Shane Falco. They beat the Giants 34-17. Elsewhere, Cincinnati gets their second win of the year. They don't quite know how to celebrate it. You saw Joe Mixon accidentally swinging his helmet, hitting the ref in the back. As they beat the Browns 33-23, that would be the final straw for Freddie Kitchens. He was fired just a few hours later after one season, a season in which Cleveland had a Super Bowl caliber roster. They finished 6-10. I tell you what, one of the biggest anomalies in sports this year was the Packers-Lions series. Another late field goal wins it for Green Bay, 23-20 over the Lions. Tell you what, the Packers beat the Lions twice this season. They won both meetings against their divisional foes. They have led for a total of zero seconds in those two games. Think about that. The Packers did not lead in either game they played the Lions this year. Until the final play, until the clocks hit zeros and Mason Crosby hit a pair of game-winning field goals. Another way to think about that is the Lions did not trail the Packers for one second this year and still lost both games. Martha Ford just needs to sell that team. Packers get the win, and they get a first-round buy heading into the postseason. The Chiefs get a win over the Chargers 31-21. It caps what was really a disappointing season for L.A. The Chiefs' defense underrated going into the playoffs. Now they have a first-round buy. They're going to be dangerous, and I really do believe they are the biggest threat toward Baltimore and winning a Super Bowl. The Chicago Bears somehow get by Minnesota's B-team 21-19 in a game that was meaningless for the Vikings, locked into the NFC's sixth seed. Mitch Trubisky does set up Eddie Pinero for a game-winning field goal, and I tell you what, the Bears, with the way last season ended, the double doink, they close this season with a game-winning field goal to win it. That, I guess, is good for them. They still have Mitch Trubisky. And they did finally decide to start running David Montgomery a little too late. I don't know. Maybe David Montgomery's breakout game in a way. Montgomery finally gets freed. And Eddie Pinero converting the kick to win the game late to end the year. Maybe. That's a sign of hope for the Bears going forward. Maybe. How about this, Shocker? The Dolphins go into Foxborough and beat the Patriots 27-24. That's significant because now the Patriots are playing next weekend. The Patriots are playing on a wild card weekend. That almost never happens. You know what else almost never happens? The Patriots losing at home. Ryan Fitzmagic is maybe the most popular person in Kansas City right now. Fitzmagic and the Dolphins spoil maybe a Super Bowl season for the Patriots because we all know if they got a first round bye, something would shake out, they would make it to the Super Bowl. I mean, we can all admit that. I mean, we all knew the Patriots were going to get to the Super Bowl if they got a first-round bye. Now they got to play on wild-card weekend. No team has played on wild-card weekend to open up the postseason and made the Super Bowl since the Packers did so in 2010. The Falcons' winners yesterday over the Buccaneers, 28-22 in overtime. Dan Quinn is coming back as Atlanta's head coach. Certainly the season didn't go the way they wanted to. They had fairly high expectations, probably to be a playoff team. I don't know if they were a division winner and yet they finished 7-9, and nine. but the strong second half is enough to save Dan Quinn's job. He will return as Falcons head coach next year. Jameis Winston, will he return? Well, on my flight out, which was 10 days ago, it said Jameis Winston is expected to be back as Tampa Bay quarterback in 2020. Since then, they've lost two games. Jameis threw four interceptions against Houston. That was my first day out of the office, and yesterday he became the first player in NFL history to throw 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions in the same season. His 30th pick, a walk-off pick six. You just can't script that any better. The Ravens beat the Steelers 28 to 10 that We'll keep Pittsburgh out of the postseason. Tell you what, though, give a ton of credit to Mike Tomlin, the job that he did. Pittsburgh does go 8-8. Eight and eight. They started the year 1-4, and four, though. They gave themselves a shot at getting in as a wild card team. They do so with a real-life Bobby Boucher as quarterback and a supporting cast being the cast of Encino Man. You have the cast of Encino Man playing running back and wide receiver for that Pittsburgh team. It was a skeleton crew, and I get it. Injuries are a part of football for everybody. But you got to give a ton of credit to Mike Tomlin the job he was able to do, bouncing back despite losing Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, largely without Juju Smith-Schuster and James Conner. And he was able to keep morale up and keep that team competitive, especially on defense. The Cowboys knew they needed to win yesterday to keep their playoff hopes alive. With the Eagles' victory over the Giants, it didn't matter. But Dallas ends the year with a 47-16 romp over the Washington Redskins. Now, Dallas will finish the year 8-8. Eight and eight. They'll miss the postseason with maybe the most complete roster in the NFL. They've got 12 starters on both sides of the ball combined, 12 of their 22 starters that will be up for new contracts this season. Now, there's going to be a lot of change in Dallas, to say the least, but you already knew that. Tennessee winners over Houston yesterday 35-14. The Titans are playoff bound as the sixth seed in the AFC. And Derrick Henry captured the NFL rushing title. He becomes the first Titans player to do so since Chris Johnson and the third in franchise history. The Jaguars with a strong second half. They take down the Colts 38-20. Gardner Minshew, QBR of 106. Three touchdowns yesterday. Yeah, I'm going to miss him. It's going to be a long offseason. Sad, that that's the last we're going to see of him until the fall. The Broncos winners over the Raiders 16-15 yesterday, and a good one drew Locke. He's looking like the answer quarterback for Denver going forward, I'll say that. Yesterday his numbers weren't overly spectacular, but he made the big throw when he needed to. Denver looks like they've got a guy that they can rely on at quarterback going forward. The Rams beat the Cardinals 31-24 in their final game at the L.A. Coliseum. That was probably the most significant part of yesterday's game because that game, in all intents and purposes, was completely irrelevant. And then Sunday night football. A good one is the Niners hold on late to win 26-21 over Seattle. They claim the NFC West, and for the first time since 1997, The San Francisco 49ers are the top overall seed in the NFC. Now they got out to a 13-0 lead. Then Seattle came roaring back. San Fran built up a 26-14 lead with four minutes to go. And the Seahawks had a shot late. They missed a pass interference call. It would have been defensive P.I. on Jacob Hollister on third down and goal. I should say on Fred Warner covering Jacob Hollister on third and goal late in the game. And it went uncalled. I tell you what, the NFL had this rule change because of what happened last year's NFC Championship game, and they get into this season decide not to enforce it, then they decide maybe we should enforce it a couple of times, and now they swallow their whistles again. I like the rule change, but why don't we use it? I mean, it's pretty cut and dry. It looks like it. I don't get why we don't use it. It wasn't used last night, and the Seahawks came up millimeters short of winning the NFC West in comeback fashion. The Marshawn Lynch experiment... I mean, he scored a touchdown. a lot of skittles were thrown in the field. The numbers overall, though, were not as impressive as you would hope for. 12 carries 34 yards. But again, that rushing touchdown, so we got Skittles reign onto the field last night. That's a look at the NFL from yesterday. Once again, glad to be back with you in the studio. Hey, if you want to check out our 2010 Decades in Review sports pen, that aired Monday, Thursday, and Sunday. I talk with all four former sports directors at ESPN-UP, and we recap the decades, some of our favorite stories, things to follow. That is available on demand on our website and with our free mobile app. With that, let's take a timeout. When we come back, let's start breaking down the NFL playoffs, what we're looking for next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along this Monday afternoon. Well, we're post-week 17. I tell you what, I'm going to miss the madness of Sunday football. You head down to whatever your favorite establishment is. You hang out with your homies. You do nothing but watch football and act like idiots. There's a game on every TV. There's always something to talk about. I'm going to miss that. But I love playoff football. And playoff football is back. We are down to 12. We have four, honestly, pretty good matchups coming up this weekend. I'm excited for these matchups. We'll break them down here in a moment. And then it's going to get even better as we lead up to the Super Bowl when you look at who has the first-round buys. So let's take a look at the NFL playoff picture and the schedule coming up for this weekend. Both AFC games are on Saturday. The NFC gets its turn on Sunday. Let's start with the afternoon game. 4.35 kick on Saturday. Buffalo at Houston. The Bills have a better record. They have a better defense. But they're going on the road because they're a wild-card team taking on the division-winning Houston Texans, I tell you what, there is a certain game in the NFC where I do believe that the road team should win, but if there is a sleeper game where the road team should win, it's not the obvious one, this would be it. Buffalo at Houston, I'm going to pick Buffalo to win this game. Houston, I think, has a better overall roster, I think Buffalo is a better defense, Houston has a better overall roster, and they're at home, but they've been wildly inconsistent. Josh Allen, as long as he doesn't trip over himself or get in his own way, which he hasn't done for most of this year. It's been a pretty good season overall for Josh Allen. After a tough rookie year, it has been a pretty good overall second season for him. And other than Lamar Jackson, he looks like the best quarterback coming out of that quarterback class a couple of years ago. As long as he doesn't get in his own way and he plays okay, he manages the game, that Buffalo defense is going to be pretty good. I am actually going to take Buffalo on the road to open up the playoffs on Saturday. Elsewhere, you've got the night game, 8:15 kick for Tennessee at New England. I do believe New England is going to bounce back. This may be the most non-competitive game this weekend, but New England at home in the postseason coming off a bad loss. It's a Titan team that has been pesky. Tannehill's played better. Derek Henry obviously runs the ball well, just won the rushing title. A.J. Brown, one of the premier rookies in this league. That being said, it is New England. It is the Patriots. It is Foxborough, and it will be January, playoff time. New England wins this game fairly handily Saturday night over Tennessee. How about Sunday afternoon, 105 kick for the Vikings at Saints? We know the history between these two teams. They have played five times in the playoffs before, Minnesota has won four of the first five meetings, including the Miracle, the walk-off win in the divisional round a couple of years ago in Minneapolis. This game, though, is taking place in New Orleans. It's the Superdome. You don't just come into the Superdome and beat the Saints during the playoffs. I don't think the Vikings will either. I think New Orleans wins this game. They will move on to take on Green Bay. And then the 440 kick on Sunday afternoon, the Eagles at 9-7 are hosting the Seattle Seahawks, who came inches away from being literally millimeters from being the top overall seed in the NFC. Now they got to go on the road, maybe because of a missed pass interference call. Now they got to go on the road and take on an Eagle team that, despite being decimated by injuries, you talk about the Steelers have the cast of Encino Man on their team. What about the Eagles, the guys who've been cut? I mean, how many times have Josh Perkins, Boston Scott Company, been combined to get cut this year? Like eight? It's been ridiculous how many times that these guys have had stints on the practice squad and now they're playing impactful minutes for this Eagle team. And they've won a division. Carson Wentz is going to play in his first ever playoff game. Hard to believe. Because remember, Nick Foles was their quarterback when they won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Carson Wentz went down with injury by that time. It'll be his first taste of playoff football. And it's in Philadelphia. It's going to be by no means easy for Seattle to go in there and get the win. But I do think they go in there and they get the win. And Seattle will get a rematch with San Fran, that time at Levi Stadium. So let's say my theories hold. I'm picking Buffalo, New England, New Orleans, and Seattle to win this weekend in the wild card round. Let's move on to the divisional round using those hypotheticals. That would mean New England goes back to Kansas City. They rematch against the Chiefs. That's where they played last year's AFC Championship game. And I tell you what, I wouldn't be shocked if New England won that game. I really wouldn't. I like Pat Mahomes, I like the Chiefs, and I like them at Arrowhead, but New England's shown they can go into that environment and they can win. And they can do so when Tom Brady's not playing his best football. And Tom Brady is far from playing his best football this season. Tell you what, Kansas City has got to play, I don't want to say a perfect game, but they've got to play a near perfect game to beat New England in the postseason. I don't care if it's home or away. How about on the other side of things, if Buffalo does win and New England wins, then Buffalo would take on Baltimore. And I love that defense Sean McDermott has there. I love the job that he's done, but there is just no stopping Baltimore. How do you scheme against them? It's no guarantee that Buffalo's going to beat Houston. How are they going to scheme for Baltimore? To me, Baltimore right now runs the AFC. Until somebody says otherwise, they are the favorite to come out of the AFC because how do you match up against them? How do you prep for them? How do you scheme against them? Right now, they are the most difficult team to scheme for. And they get an extra week to rest and prepare. Plus, they're at home throughout these playoffs until the Super Bowl. On the NFC side of things, I think New Orleans is going to beat Minnesota. They'll go on and take on Green Bay. That game in Lambeau, that could go either way. That could go either way. I tell you what, Aaron Rodgers, can we all agree, has not played anywhere close to his best level of football, and I don't think he's washed, but he hasn't been the best player on his team this year. I think Aaron Jones has. Now, Aaron has made exceptional throws when he's needed to, and he's led the team on some impressive drives when he's needed to. I'm not saying he hasn't been the most clutch player on the team this year. But he has not been the most consistent, the consistently best player on his team this year. That has been Aaron Jones. And if Aaron Rodgers gets hot in the postseason, just watch. Just watch because I don't know if there is any stop in that Packer team. And I was watching the Monday Night Football game at Minnesota with my family. I mean, we all know that I picked the Vikings to win that game. And Zadarius Smith was just a train wrecker. Just a difference maker in that game. I mean, Zadarius Smith, we all knew he was good, but a performance like that, I think that's what Packer fans have been waiting for out of this defense, to see Zadarius Smith lead the Packers on a defensive effort like that. If they get all that going, it's a perfect storm for Green Bay. I don't believe Green Bay is going to see a down performance from Aaron Jones in the playoffs if Aaron Rodgers in that defense can both get clicking, not even at the same time, but they get two of those three going. Man, this Packer team could be really deadly, especially with a good New Orleans team come to town. But I do believe two of those three aspects need to get going. Rodgers, Jones, and the defense. Two of those three have to be good if they want to beat New Orleans. Because let's face it, it was a gritty effort yesterday, good teams find ways to win down the stretch, but it should not have been that close against the three-win Lions. It should not have been 23-20. to Aaron had 16 overthrows yesterday. He can't have that type of effort if the Packers want to beat the Saints. Yesterday's effort will not beat New Orleans or whoever decides to come to Lambeau, whether it be somebody from the other game, whether it be Seattle or Philly, if Minnesota does pull the upset. So either way, the Packers got to get two of the three aspects to be good if they want to beat probably New Orleans. They need Rodgers and or Jones and or that defense to be good. And I think they will be. I really do. How about on the other side of things, assuming that Seattle does beat Minnesota, there's no surprise there. I'm assuming that Seattle's gonna beat Philadelphia and we're gonna get a rematch with San Francisco. Seattle at San Fran a rematch with a chance to go to the NFC championship. Yeah yeah I I said it earlier this year. I did my predictions, I revisited my predictions for each division in the NFL this year. And I came away with 5 out of 8. I correctly predicted Houston to win the AFC South, Kansas City to win the AFC West, and New England to win the AFC East. I did have Pittsburgh winning the AFC North. Now I get Ben Roethlisberger was hurt. He stays healthy, maybe. I don't think so. I don't think there was any stopping Lamar Jackson and the Ravens this year. I think it was their division regardless. I'll eat that one. In the NFC, I had Minnesota winning the North. That was wrong. I had Seattle winning the West. That almost came true, millimeters away, literally, from becoming true. And then I did have New Orleans winning the South and Philadelphia winning the East. So I went 5 of 8 and a couple millimeters away from being 6 of 8. Who knows what happens with Ben bear? I'm okay with that. But the point is, I did have Seattle winning the West. And I still believe that their roster is better than San Francisco's. And I do think, you put them back on the field, that Seattle would get that win. And Seattle would meet Green Bay in the NFC Championship. With Green Bay hosting that game, the road to the Super Bowl could very well run through Lambeau. Now this is a Packer team that, I mean they, they need to put a complete game together. That's the thing. I think it's a very favorable path for the Packers to get to the Super Bowl. It's an extremely favorable path. Because I really do think Seattle can beat San Fran on the road. I have more confidence that they can beat San Fran on the road than I do Green Bay beating San Fran on the road. It's all about matchups. And if Green Bay gets to host Seattle, that might be the difference. Because in the NFC Championship, it very well can come down to home field advantage. Green Bay has that over Seattle, not over San Fran. That's why I believe the matchup is extremely favorable. The path to the Super Bowl is extremely favorable. For the Green Bay Packers. But again, they haven't looked necessarily good the last couple of weeks. They didn't look good yesterday. They had to grit out a win over the Lions. Didn't have a lead until the clock hit zeros. And I get, it's all about the win. But that effort isn't going to beat the Saints. They didn't necessarily look good against the Vikings. The offense for more than half the game just was not there. And really, it was when Eric Kendricks left in the second half of that Monday Night Football game that Rodgers saw that depleted linebacker core. He saw a depleted, banged-up secondary and started licking his chops and going right after the Vikings. I mean, the Packers didn't so much as look good on offense in the second half as the Vikings just looked bad on defense in the second half of that Monday night football game. So the Packers need to get their swag going offensively, and they have all the pieces to do it. Well, maybe not at the wideout position, but they've got the pieces they need to win. Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones, they can make up for a lacking wide receiver and tight end core. Because, yeah, they are lacking. They've got Devontae Adams. That's it. That's pretty much it. Let's be real. The good news? You've got a good enough running back and a good enough quarterback and a good enough coach. Let's be honest with that, too. That you can make up for that. And you still have a favorable path at going to the Super Bowl. Plus that defense. That defense, for the most part, has looked good here the last couple of weeks. The Packers' path is there to get to the Super Bowl. It's a favorable path, but the offense has got to be better than what it's shown here the last couple of weeks. Let's take another time now. When we come back, let's talk a little NFL coaching openings and who might be called to fill them next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN UP and on the ESPN UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Here's your Sports Center update. The Red Wings have assigned goaltender Calvin Pickard to AHL Grand Rapids. Philadelphia Eagles Pro Bowl guard Brandon Brooks will miss the entirety of the playoffs after suffering a dislocated shoulder yesterday against the Giants. And finally, an Arizona woman has been arrested after she attempted to set her boyfriend on fire because he didn't get excited when she told him that she'd been hired by Subway. 46-year-old Kathy Jones doused her boyfriend with lighter fluid and threw lit matches at him. She's been charged with one count of aggravated assault. That is your Sports Center update. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Hey, I got a lot of audio I want to play for you here in the back half of our show as we keep going down the gridiron path. We talk a little NFL, college football right now, since it's Black Monday. I want to talk about some coaching vacancies in the NFL because it appears that Ron Rivera is the new man for the Washington Redskins. Rivera in Northern Virginia right now. This move to me kind of surprising, not only because Bruce Allen, team president, was fired this morning, but why would someone want that Redskins job? I I would name one thing that's attractive about coaching the Washington Redskins. It's not working for Daniel Snyder. It's probably not working with Dwayne Haskins. I mean, he's okay, but do you really want to risk your career? Your reputation on Dwayne Haskins. After what I've seen, I'm not ready to do that. What pieces around him make you excited? Ron Rivera would have had a shot pretty much anywhere else in the NFL this year. I absolutely think the Giants could have got him, his relationship with Dave Gettleman. Cleveland Browns, I'm sure, would have at least tried to contact him. I think there are a lot of teams that would love to have Ron Rivera. I'm a little surprised that he jumped at this opportunity. That he wanted to take the Redskins job. But nonetheless, Ron Rivera is the new man in D.C. And I'm happy for him. I've always liked Riverboat Ron. He's a good guy. So what about some of the other vacancies? Well, let's go in chronological order. We're still waiting on the Panthers to get their next coach hired. They've requested an interview with Patriots offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels, among others. Joe Brady from LSU, the offensive coordinator there, would be a guy that they are going to keep an eye on. He'll be on their radar. How about in Cleveland, though, where last night Freddie Kitchens was fired after one season, a 6-10 and season with a Super Bowl caliber roster. Now, here's the thing. That was the right move, firing Freddie, because that was a sinking ship that wasn't going to get better. Freddie did not know how to manage a locker room, and he just showed his inability, his incapability, to manage a game. Don't forget, this is the guy that intentionally took a penalty on 4th and eleven, so he didn't have to take a timeout, and he would call a play to go for it on 4th and sixteen. Freddie Kitchens just was not smart as a head coach this year. He wasn't ready. And I get it that after what happened last year with the elevated play of Baker Mayfield after he became the offensive coordinator, I get why the Browns made that move, but Freddie wasn't the right guy going forward. Now the Browns have a chance to rectify their mistake by getting a guy who's been around the NFL before, who's had success at the NFL before. There is no continuity in Cleveland right now. They are going to have their fourth coach in the last three years between Hugh Jackson, Greg Williams on an interim basis, Freddie Kitchens, and whoever they bring in next year. Four coaches in three years. They have to go after Mike McCarthy. If Mike McCarthy wants his job, give it to him. If you're Cleveland... You are done messing around with guys who have either not been head coaches in the NFL before or have failed as head coaches in the NFL before. Hugh Jackson never had a winning season with the Raiders, yet Cleveland said this is the guy that we want. Freddie Kitchens had been nothing more than a position coach for all but three months of his NFL coaching career, yet they gave him the big job right away. Don't do it. Go get somebody who succeeded in the NFL before. Don't go for a college coach who you think could be the next big thing. The Browns aren't looking. They shouldn't be looking for a Lincoln Riley. They shouldn't be looking for an Urban Meyer. They shouldn't be looking for a Kevin Stefanski, a guy they interviewed last year, actually called back for a second interview. They really seem to like, but he hasn't done anything as an NFL head coach. or shown that he can be an NFL head coach. Don't go after guys like that. Go after... An established veteran that you know can succeed at the NFL level. Get Mike McCarthy. You should have done it last year. That's a right choice now if you're Cleveland. How about on the New York Giants side of things? They parted ways with Pat Shermer earlier today, but they announced that Dave Gettleman was going to stay. New York was 4-12 and this season. They were 9-23 and in two seasons with Shermer, who can scheme an offense with the best of them. He'll be a coordinator somewhere next year if he wants that job somewhere. But Schirmer has certainly struggled as a head coach, pretty much wherever he's gone. He had the interim stint in Philadelphia. He did go 1-0. and But elsewhere, it's been New York, it's been Cleveland. And granted, those rosters haven't been great. But there have been times where Schirmer has struggled there as well. And maybe he's one of those guys that's a better coordinator. Because he is a darn good coordinator. Took the Vikings to the NFC Championship with Case Keenum a couple of years ago. He'll have a coordinator job somewhere next year if he wants it. So what are the Giants going to do? Well, are they in a similar position as Cleveland? In some sense, maybe. Because they're both built around quarterbacks. No matter what other weapons might be around them, the most talented player on each team is not the quarterback. It's Odell Beckham Jr. and Saquon Barkley, but they're still built around their young quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield and Daniel Jones. So do you get an offensive-minded coach specifically for your quarterback? Dan Orlovsky doesn't know that that's the right move. You can't make that mistake of making yeah. it only about Daniel Jones. We've seen teams do that, and now they've hurt themselves. Pat Shermer was hired to help the quarterbacks <laughs> play better, and it's got to be a total thing. Um, this is a young, talented roster. Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, Sterling Shepard, Slayton, they've got some pieces offensively. Evan Ingram, see what they do with them. They've got to rebuild the offensive line, but they're going to have the fourth pick of the draft as well. Yeah. So there are some pieces. This is an outstanding it's, job yeah. for somebody You know, you hear that clip and you think, really, Dan, someone wants to be the head coach of the New York Giants? But he's right. There are a lot of young pieces there that would make that job attractive. Plus, you've got an ownership group between Tish and the Mara family that have proven to be really good owners throughout the years. You've got Dave Gettleman, who at one point did put together a Super Bowl roster in Carolina. You can question some of the stuff he's done, what have you. That and the fact that you're coaching in New York. I mean, you can't beat that from a national sports scene coaching in New York. So there is a lot of reason to be optimistic that the Giants can attract somebody to come there to the Big Apple and be their next head coach. Who is that somebody? Well, Matt Rule is a name we keep hearing about. Josh McDaniels are expected to interview. Eric Bienme, offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs. I tell you what, though. The Giants are one of those teams that can probably get away with going away from the proven veteran ranks, to me that doesn't mean as much as Cleveland getting a proven veteran head football coach. Cleveland needs that a lot more than the New York Giants do. Cleveland has a more talented roster, and they've got a quarterback. I don't know if his ceiling is higher than Daniel Jones's, but I do know this, that Baker Mayfield has been criticized roundly this year, myself included. I've criticized him. His year hasn't been as bad as the general narrative would want you to think. It hasn't been as bad as you would probably be led to believe. It has just been majorly disappointing because while it hasn't been necessarily bad, it's been a regression from last year's Rookie of the Year runner-up finish. That being said, Mike McCarthy is a good quarterbacks coach, and while it didn't work out with Aaron Rodgers, that doesn't mean it can't work out with Baker Mayfield. Mike McCarthy, to me, is the right guy in Cleveland, I don't know who's the right guy in New York. I thought it was going to be Ron Rivera. Maybe it's Matt Rule. Maybe it's somebody else at the college level. I do believe that the Giants can get away with getting somebody at the college level, but they're going to go offensive. Whether or not it's right or wrong to tailor an offense to Daniel Jones, it's probably what's going to happen. The Giants are probably going to go offensive. I tell you what, I want to talk about the Falcons here while we have a minute. Because they were such a disappointment this season, but they finished strong in the second half to get to 7-9, and nine. and they announced last night that Dan Quinn is going to stay. Dan Quinn will be staying in Atlanta. Now what does that mean for the Falcons going forward, and what does that mean for the rest of the NFL? Because there are a couple of teams that can learn from this, that should be able to learn from this. Quinn was a guy who had his team in the Super Bowl three years ago, and the Falcons have steadily regressed ever since. Just a terrible start to the season this year. Arthur Blank, for whatever reason, is extremely committed to Quinn. The defense has been their weakest point this year, and the offense has been spotty. At times, Matt Ryan is on. Sometimes he's not. When he's not on, nobody else in the offense really is on other than Julio. And if Matt Ryan's not on, Julio's not getting the ball. Defense is Dan Quinn's specialty, and that's where Atlanta was really bad this year. Raheem Morris, the former field head coach himself, trying to bring that defense around. I get they were bad throughout the year, but they did show improvement in the second half, and according to Adam Schefter, that's what's saving jobs. He is retaining both the head coach, Dan Quinn, and the general manager, Thomas Dimitrov, bringing them back for the 2020 season with an eye, I think, on what this team showed in the second half of the season. and the first half, The Falcons were one of the biggest disappointments in the league, but they bounced back in the second half, played fairly well, and played well enough to convince Arthur Blank that it was worth bringing back these two men. That, of course, though, is not the biggest news of the day, and I want to run through the rest of these quickly because I'm coming up on a break. Doug Marone, it was reported, was going to be fired after yesterday's game. That did not come true. In fact, his team had a convincing win over a Colts team that has been up and down this year. They pulled away in the second half. Marone and the Jaguars are going to meet tomorrow and discuss his future with the team, or lack thereof, at that time. The Cleveland Browns have requested an interview with 49ers defensive coordinator Robert Sala, former Northern Michigan Wildcat tight end. And could that Wildcat be the next man up in Cleveland? Elsewhere... The biggest story is one that we may not even be quite sure of what it is yet, what to make of it, and that's what's going on with the Dallas Cowboys. Ian Rappaport is reporting, here's his latest tweet, that the Dallas Cowboys did meet with head coach Jason Garrett, team owner Jerry Jones, and his son Steven, the team's general manager, did have a closed-door meeting with Jason Garrett. There's been no official word yet, but Garrett is thanking his players for their effort and telling them that it's been a privilege to coach them. So it does appear that Garrett knows what's happening next, although we're just waiting for it to be made official. We're going to keep following these stories for you. Keep tuned right here to ESPN-UP. Let's take our last time out. Let's transition to the college scene next. Plus, I'll tell you which team could be poised to make the jump to being a college football playoff regular by next season, next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any of our show today, get caught up on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple iStore, Google Play, or look up espn com and check out the on demand there. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're along as we wind down this Monday afternoon. Again, stay safe out there. Weather has been Off and on, nasty all day. I don't know if it's been any better since we started the show here. I've been in the studio, no window here. But I tell you what, let's talk a little college football. I want to talk about the college football playoff games this weekend, the statement made by Joe Burrow, and look ahead to the College Football National Championship. Plus, take a look at some New Year's Six Bowl games, what have you. We have the Orange Bowl coming up this evening between Florida and Virginia. But before we do all that, I want to recap something that is important to me. Maybe it's important to a few of you. This weekend, Notre Dame, a beloved Fighting Irish, were playing Iowa State in the Camping World Bowl in Orlando. Did you know that's the same stadium where they shot the football scenes from Waterboy? I love that. I have a whole new appreciation for that stadium. Either way, Notre Dame won the game 33-9. to It was an absolute dominant performance. I have not seen Notre Dame handle another Power 5 team like they did Iowa State Saturday in a while, and it's been a really long time since Iowa State has been dominated from start to finish, a program that has been on the rise with Matt Campbell here over the last couple of seasons or so. They haven't been dominated like that start to finish since Paul Rhodes was still head coach. So Notre Dame beats a 7-5 Iowa State team. What does that mean? Why am I bringing this up? Is it just because I'm a homer? Am I being a fan? Am I letting my personal feelings, my personal bias come out on air? I'm telling you this because I believe Notre Dame can be considered a college football playoff favorite next year. I'm not saying to win it, but certainly to get in. I really do think so. Brian Kelly, a couple of weeks ago, sent a message to his program. They parted ways with offensive coordinator Chip Long. And Notre Dame was fine offensively this year. They were above average. They were one of the better teams in the country. That wasn't good enough. During Brian Kelly's nine years at the helm at Notre Dame, the Irish have been to the national championship. They've been to the college football playoff. They just put together three consecutive seasons of ten wins or more. Hadn't been done since Lou Holtz was head coach. Now the Irish are ready to take the next step. And you know what? I'd love to see it. Because as much as I like Chip Long as a coordinator, Brian Kelly said, this isn't good enough. 10-2, and two, that's not good enough. 11-1 and one even, we're ready to get Notre Dame back to being a title contender. And Iowa State is a good program. I mean, they really are. I said it for weeks leading up to the show. I couldn't wait to watch the Irish play future Notre Dame head coach Matt Campbell. You'd ask me prior to Saturday, I would have absolutely traded Brian Kelly for Matt Campbell. And Brian Kelly coached circles around Campbell on Saturday, completely outcoached him. Tommy Reese, former Irish quarterback, got his shot as the offensive play caller. I was happy with it. Good balance called a good game, I thought, after maybe a slow start once he settled in. I really enjoyed it. Will he be the offensive coordinator going forward? I don't know if Notre Dame gets a shot at a guy like Joe Brady, you absolutely give him the job. I don't think there is any shot at Joe Brady. He's got his shot in the NFL whenever he wants it. But I tell you what, Notre Dame, when you look at their returning players for next year, when you look at their schedule and what Brian Kelly's doing to shift the culture, this was Brian Kelly's first game after sending that statement that 10-2 and two is not good enough. 11-1 and one may not even be good enough. That Notre Dame is going to get back to being a playoff team. And their statement they made against Iowa State, I get they're a 7-5 team, but we can all agree they're better than their 7-5 record. And what happened on Saturday, plus Notre Dame's returning core players and their schedule for next year? Notre Dame, can I say, should be a playoff team next year? They've got the chance with the quality wins. I've got their 2020 schedule in front of me. They should open the year. With a chance for a top 25 victory. They play Navy. Navy's ranked 23rd. They should start next season in the top 25. They have a chance to open the year with a ranked win over Navy. Then they play the Sisters of the Poor for a few weeks. They've got Arkansas. They've got a Western Michigan team that did make a bowl this season. Wake Forest that looked good to start the year. Then they lost four of their last five, including the bowl game to Sparty. And then I'm looking ahead to October 3rd. Notre Dame goes to Lambeau Field to take on Wisconsin. The Wisconsin Badgers, those two should both be in the top 15 when they meet. Somebody's got a chance for a quality win. Then they've got Stanford. Who knows what they're going to be, but it's always nice to beat them. Pitt made a bowl game this year. Duke, I don't know. Who knows? And then I'm looking ahead before they play Georgia Tech, Louisville, and USC. I'm looking at the November 7th matchup when Dabo Sweeney and the Clemson Tigers come to South Bend, Indiana. That could be the defining game for Notre Dame. That'll be the real measuring stick to tell us where this program is. And I've said many times, Notre Dame not playing a 13th game, not playing in a conference championship, they probably need to win out to get to the college football playoff. With the schedule they have next year, one loss might be permissible. Only one. And it might not be either. But I tell you what, I'm telling you this because... Notre Dame is going to be, or should be, a favorite for the college football playoff next year. They've got the opportunity to do so. They've got the roster coming back, and the culture is finally getting to the point where Notre Dame expects to contend at the highest level, and I'm here for that. With that, let's turn our attention to Saturday night's games and what happened there with the college football playoff. Joe Burrow made a statement, played his best game of his collegiate career. After winning the Heisman Trophy against a revamped Oklahoma defense that was night and day better, as Sean McDonough said, than it had been in years past, Joe Burrow lit that defense up for seven touchdown passes, one rushing, and he passed for 493 yards. Joe Burrow and LSU looked every bit like the best team in the country. I was starting to think, I came into that night thinking, it's going to be Ohio State beating LSU for the national championship, and now... I don't know what Clemson's going to do to slow down LSU. It is going to be a Tiger show, LSU-Clemson. But that game was over by halftime. LSU was up 49-14 at half. They coast to a 56-28 win. It's a tough way for Jalen Hurts and Oklahoma to end the year, and they were absolutely the most deserving number four team to get in. I mean, Utah could have played in that game, and that would have just been beyond ugly. But honestly, it wouldn't have mattered who they put in that fourth seed. Because the only teams that could have competed with LSU were Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama with Tua Tagovailoa. Nobody that they put in that fourth seed could have contended with LSU. Oklahoma's the right team. LSU was just too much for them. They're just that good. On the other side, you had Ohio State that had the early lead. Everything was going their way. It looked like it was going to be a long night for Clemson. But the Clemson defense would do the bend but not break method. That would be enough. Because Clemson was able to take advantage of Ohio State's lack of execution in the red zone. Way too many times, Ohio State comes knocking on the door. They get to the red zone. They settle for three instead of seven. And it doesn't matter how many possessions were dominated by the Buckeyes early on. That kept Clemson within two scores. They were down 13-0 at one point, and the Tigers came roaring back. Ohio State had the lead late. They gave up a four-play touchdown drive that proved to be the winner. The Buckeyes got one last shot with the football. They couldn't do it. They did not deserve to win that football game. They might have outplayed Clemson for 75% of the game, but they settled for threes instead of sevens. Ryan Day in his first ever college football playoff got conservative. Davo Sweeney's been there before. He knew what that atmosphere was like and he knew how to outcoach Ryan Day down the stretch and that's why Clemson's playing for a national championship not Ohio State. So now we got Clemson and LSU. A battle of the tigers in Baton Rouge on January 13th. It's going to be basically a home game for LSU. I just don't know that Clemson matches up to them. I really don't. But we did say the same thing last year, prior to Clemson's absolute butt-kicking of Alabama. 44-16, to 16, Tigers won the national championship. Now they go for their third and their last four years. That's not supposed to happen in modern college football. And yet Dabo Sweeney and the guys might just be on the cusp of it. So what does each coach think? about playing for the national championship. One, this is his first time on the big stage as the head man. For the other, this is nothing new. It won't be any different. It will not be any different. We won't make it bigger than bigger in life. Obviously, we understand the magnitude of the football game, but we're going to focus on the task at hand, the fundamentals, of getting better. We're an ascending football team. Uh, we're going to study on our game plan, and we're going to work just like we've been, we'll go through the process with confidence. What a remarkable story it's been, not only for LSU and Joe Burrow, but that man right there, Ed Orgeron, and the coaching journey for him. If you haven't looked up his story, it's fascinating. You've got the gravelly Cajun accent. Everybody likes to mimic what have you. you do your best, go tigers. But I tell you what, there's a remarkable story there with Ed Orgeron. I feel that too many people overlook, stemming back to when he was an assistant with the University of Miami and he was dismissed. Took a leave of absence. that started as something to help get his personal life back on track. And it ended up being permanent when Randy Shannon was awarded his coaching spot. He got back into coaching as a volunteer assistant at Nichols State. And now he's one win away from winning a national championship as the head coach at LSU. He does all this with certainly a lot on the minds of of the LSU coaching staff going into Saturday's game away from football as it was learned just hours before kickoff that the daughter-in-law of Tiger Offensive Coordinator Steve Ensminger did pass away in a plane crash en route to the game. And she worked with us here at ESPN. She was one of our colleagues, and certainly our thoughts and prayers are with the family. But it was Coach O who had to tell Coach E, and I just couldn't imagine trying to do your job after learning that, and what may have been going through his head that day. There was a tragedy that happened in Coach Edminger's family today. I was the one that had to tell Coach, and here's what I told him. I told him what happened, and here's what he said. Coach, we're going to get through this. And obviously he was distraught, but he called a great game today, so just going to show you the integrity and the grit and character of the men on our football team. Meanwhile, on the other side, Clemson finds themselves in a spot where they typically don't find themselves, or at least they haven't for the last few years, and that's in the underdog role, especially essentially going on the road to playing in the national championship game. The Tigers are looking to win their 30th straight game. It would give them, again, their third national championship in the last four years. Now, their biggest criticism against them is that they don't play anybody. They play a soft schedule in the ACC. They schedule Wofford in November. Well, they got their first real test on Saturday against Ohio State, and they passed. Granted, Ohio State did help them out, leaving the door open for them. Clemson was outplayed for most of the game. I wasn't kidding when I said Ohio State might have outplayed them for 75% of the game, but Ohio State settled for threes instead of sevens. They did not execute in the red zone, left the door open, and give credit to Clemson's defense for that. And because of that, Clemson was able to take advantage and get to the national championship. They have to play a more complete game if they want to beat LSU. It's going to take 30-0 and for us to win a national championship this year. We're going to have to go 30-0, and and that's what we're going to have to do. If we're going to win it, we're going to have to go to their place. I mean, this is like, this is epic. <laughs> To yep. go to Louisiana, we've never won in New Orleans. We've not won a playoff game in New Orleans. We haven't won a Sugar Bowl. So now you got to go play LSU, who's unbelievable, by the way. I've seen them a few times. I mean, they're they're amazing. Tigers head coach Dabo Sweeney following his team's win over Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl on Saturday. With that, we are out of time, hitting the 5 o'clock hour. No Monday Night Football on. I miss it. What do you do on your Mondays now? i got to go back to off-season Monday mode. Can't wait for playoff football, though. Playoff football this weekend's got to make up for it. I'm back on tomorrow, same time and place. It's my hope you join me. 4 Eastern, 3 Central, right here on ESPN-UP. John Michael Hoefling of ABC10 is going to be in the house with me. We flew out together. Had him on the same flight on the way out. Grandpa Tony in the same flight coming back. So I had a pal on each leg of the trip. He's coming on tomorrow. We will break down, well, whatever happens in the sporting world by tomorrow. All that and more coming up then. Thanks for being with us. Till then, class dismissed here on ESPN UPWZ. I'm Ishpeming Marquette.